Doing good? You think about, you know, Thanksgiving, right? And, and people are grateful. Usually the, the, the typical thing that people say is for my family, right? You know, everybody's grateful for the family, but as Christians, we're grateful for the greatest gift, right? The greatest gift, which is the Lord, because if we were, if if we didn't have the Lord, then we surely, truly would be lost, right? We truly would be lost. So, I just want to share a couple of things with you that the Lord showed me, and so, uh, you know, it, 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 in some manner, some kind of way, we all had some kind of experience in coming to, to the Lord, some maybe some big experience you had to go through, some fire, or, you know, but you came to Christ, right? So we came in our lives, we came into a place in our lives realizing that we were bankrupt spiritually, that we were destined for hell, you know. Maybe you didn't think about that, but we were. We were destined for a place, and it wasn't going to be with God. And so... You know, when we figured that out and we saw that we were in our spiritual rebellion against God and our sinful nature, even even people like myself who thought we were pretty good, we had to come to that place that we were lost. And so then the Holy Spirit enlightened us and showed us this uh, God, Jesus Christ, who had died for our sins. And then we made that step of faith and we received Christ in our life, right? And so then. What a great day that was when we realized that Jesus was the gift of salvation into our lives and we received him. And it was for free, right? A lot of people think, uh, you know, that you can purchase salvation. People have, have mentioned that to me. And all the money in the world wouldn't do it. All the money you could ever see, ever know, would not do it. The, the, the tragic thing is that someone would think that you could buy it when it's absolutely free. It's free for the asking. And so God, without, a, without question, he didn't think about it. He didn't stop and say, well, maybe this one, maybe that one. No. He received us into his family, and he calls us the beloved. In the Bible, in Romans 1, 7, it says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And to the Ephesian church, Paul wrote in uh, Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, 5, and 6, it says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the grace of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So God calls you the beloved. And so we know that all that, that God had suffered on the cross for, for us, right? So in that, you know, Jesus was speaking in John chapter 10, and he promised not only that he accepts us as the beloved into his family, but he promised us to have, that we could have abundant life. So the, the, what is this abundant life? How do you get this abundant life? Well, obviously, we have to walk with him. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said that we could have this abundant life it says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So part of this abundant life, and I'm sure some of you figured it out or already know about it, 
This abundant life comes through serving God, through serving God, you know. Uh, our, our friend and brother, my friend and brother, uh, you guys knew him, Reuben. You know, it's interesting that before, you know, we didn't know when the day he was going to pass, God knew it. He would talk about this, 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 this thing about, you know, being welcome into to heaven. And he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. So I believe that, that my brother was already getting prepared by God to go home. And so he would talk about this. So being serving God is part of that abundant life. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ is part of that abundant life. The blessings of God come into your life when you're serving the Lord. And if you've been serving God, you, you surely have experienced part of this abundant life. And if you, if you never served and you're not serving and you're not planning, then you're going to miss out on that abundant life. It doesn't mean that serving isn't tiring. It doesn't mean that you won't uh, you know, go through trials. But there's something that happens when you serve God. And in some way, it's not even something I could explain. It's a spiritual thing that God comes into your life and blesses you with. So that's what I want to talk a little bit about. So in the example of serving, you know, Jesus is the example. He's the, the example that he came. This is Almighty God coming in the flesh, taking on the, the form of a human being, and then becoming a servant. And so in Matthew ten twenty eight, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, some people who don't understand what Jesus has done, they can't really grip, grab around, put their mind around how God would come and do that, you know? But we know that he has done that, and he came to show us how to be a servant. So I want to read out of uh, John chapter 13, just to, to remind us, you know, in uh, verse 12, it says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do this, as do as I have done to you. Now, in that day, the the slave that would wash someone's feet would be the slow, the lowest of the lowest slave. So there, it shows us that Jesus Christ made himself the lowest of slaves to show the example that he was a servant. Did they deserve to be served? Probably not. Just like us, we didn't deserve the free gift of salvation, but God gave it to us, right? So this, this is the example that God has shown us. So since Jesus led by example, and we in our lives are living our lives to, to have that transformation into the image of Christ, then it would just be logical that we would want to be servants to him, right? 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So here Paul says it's reasonable. It's reasonable. I think it's above reasonable. I think it's beyond reasonable. I think that knowing what God has done for us, I think, like it says there, that we would be a living sacrifice. Jesus Christ had to die and be a sacrifice for us. And he's not asking us, he's asking us to die to self, but he's not asking us to be crucified necessarily. Some have died for the faith. Many have died. But he's asking us to live for Christ and serve him, right? So I just want to show you a couple of examples of men who were called. All of you guys have been called. In case you don't know, you've been called to, to the service of God. And so a couple of examples I want to share with you is uh, this man Moses. He, he was uh, out there tending sheep after he left Egypt. So uh, if you could uh, go over to Exodus chapter 3. So in, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is called by God as he was minding his own business, tending some goats and some sheep. So, you know, God uh, had prepared Moses for this, right? Moses was, uh, was uh, raised in, in Egyptian, and he was pre- went to the best schools. He, he was probably going to be the next pharaoh. So you would think he was edu- highly educated. you think he was maybe be willing to take the job. But he shows us that man, Moses, is just like us, and sometimes unwilling. But anyway, it says in chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So then he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So right there, He's telling Moses, I'm going to be with you. We would think that that would be enough, right? We would think that that would be enough for anyone. That if God, the creator of heaven and earth, is going to be with you in something that he puts you to do, that would be enough. But as we go along, uh, Moses requested a sign. You know, they're not going to know who sent me. And he goes on and on. And and as he keeps talking, and you get to chapter 4, it gets a little bit worse, actually, you know. You start making excuses. How many of us make excuses when God is calling us? I can't do it. Well, I'm I'm not qualified. Well, all of those are right. You can't do it and you're not qualified. But get, God is going to be with you. You know, I've said that many times. I can't do it, Lord. So in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not be believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is it 
what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach, in your, reach out your hand and make it by, by the tail. I'm sorry, take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand, and he caught it, and became a rod in his hand. And then, and that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So he goes on. He wants proof, right? Have you ever asked God to prove himself to you? I have. And he always proves himself. I've asked for uh, confirmation. Lord, can you confirm it? (laughs) Because we live in this body that sometimes has fears, right? And so we ask. It's okay, right? It's It's okay to ask God to confirm things. So Moses goes on to make uh, a few excuses, right? And and so we keep on reading. It says, furthermore, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like, like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. Behold, it was restored like the other flesh. Then then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, they, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, that it shall take water from the river, pour it on the dry land, and the water shall take, shall, which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So already Moses has gotten received from God, validation that he is going to do it, right? But Moses, verse 10, And Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Another excuse, right? Another excuse. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, seen, or the blind, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send my hand of whomever else you may send. So Moses keeps making excuses. Just like us. Just like us. You see, in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 22, it says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in the words and deeds. You see, Moses was, had a lot of qualifications. But when you look at yourself, you see yourself unqualified, which is okay. But when you look at God, God will do it. I I can tell you that God will do it. You know why? Because God will not let himself fail. And when he brings you to do something, when he calls you to do something, in God's eyes, it's already done. We just have to step out in faith and walk in the faith of God and do it and believe, you see. And so in verse 12, it says, Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send my by the hand, by the hand of whomever. So he wants someone to go with him. So... The Lord's response in verse 14, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said. So he goes on, and he lets his brother go. 
Do you think that that God did not know that Moses had a speech problem? Absolutely. He he picked them. He called them, right? So whatever your disabilities that you see yourself, God will work with within that, and he will get it done. We have to trust God. You know, God isn't going to call you to something that he's not going to accomplish. You have to trust the Lord, right? So Moses, like us, was a regular person who put up excuses, right? Put up, you know, I can't do it. I, I can't go. So God, what he's looking for is simple. He's looking for someone who says, I'll go. To I'll go. So another, another guy I want to show you is in Judges chapter 6. This guy's name is Gideon. So Gideon, Gideon is a little bit different. Moses was an educated man. He was a learned man. He, you know, he was being groomed to be somebody big in, in, in the known kingdom, which is uh, the known world, which is Egypt at that time. Now Gideon is a little bit different. So, so God is not a respecter of person. You know, he calls who he calls. So if you go to Judges chapter 6, verse 11, and so there's a big story, but I'm only going to read a few things out, out from Gideon. And now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was on the Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abrazite, while his son Gideon threshed the wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Right there, God, God is sending, you know, the angel of the Lord says, you are a mighty man of valor. See, he's already uh, looking past Gideon's life that he's going to make him into a mighty man of valor. But look at Gideon's response. In verse 13, he says, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And there... Were all the, where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites, which I, I not have I not sent you? In other words, God is saying, Have I not sent you? Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? Did I send you to fail? God will not put you to any task where you're going to fail. So in verse 15, it says, So then he said, Oh, my Lord, can, can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Look at what God is saying. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. You think the Lord is going to send the, the, the missions team to Mexico without him going with them? He goes every step of the way. You think we're going to go out in the ministry, any, do any ministry without the Lord? Never. We would be foolish. But there God is reassuring him that he will be with him, but it's not enough. Not enough for him. 
It's not enough. Then he, he asks for a sign as well. And then God tells him, uh, you know, to put the sacrifice on the rock and to pour, pour some liquid over it. And then the fire of God comes and consumes the sacrifice. And he shows him the sign. But that's not enough for Gideon. It's not enough. He's a regular guy just like us. You know, we need sometimes proof, right? So if you go to verse 36, he gives them some, another sign. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by, the, by my hand as you have said. Then it was so when he rose early in the next morning and squeezed it, the, squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a, a bowl full of water. Pretty amazing, huh? Pretty amazing. But Gideon said to God, Do you not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but not on the ground. Let there be dew. You see, Gideon is a man who doubts. But God will use even people who doubt him. God will use those who say, I will. And so, you know, the, the Moses had his, his, his proof. He wanted proof, right? And so, what we know is that after they believed that Gideon was used to conquer the Midianites to, to you know, take them out, and then we know all the works of Moses, right? All the works that Moses did. So once they believed, then God was able to move with power and might in their life. And so that's the same way with us. Once you put your trust in God and see what he has done in your life already, God, after he saved us, shouldn't really have to prove anything out, you know. We should know that he has the power to save. He, that same power that raised him from the grave is afforded to, to us as Christians as we serve God. That same power. If we don't experience that power, it's because we may have trouble believing in that power and stepping out in faith and so God is calling us to believe. God is calling us to believe. And, and you should understand, we should understand that you can't do it. You cannot do it. That the power of God is the one going to do it. That God has chosen the things that are weak, like Gideon. You see, Moses was out in the desert. He had already forgot about Egypt. You see, but God called him. And so in, in uh 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. So God will choose who he will, but he's looking for humble people who know and understand that they are nothing before God. They know that be, without God they could do nothing, you see. And that's what God is looking for. And he's looking for people who will say yes to him. 
to say yes. A lot of times we say yes to God and we say, okay, I'll do this over here because I'm comfortable over here. Well, let me tell you that God wants to get you out of your comfort zone. God is calling you because in your comfort zone, you don't need a lot of faith. You don't need a lot of trust. But when you come out of your comfort zone, when he calls you out, it was real easy to tend to some sheep for Moses. You know, uh, the other man was working on some wheat. They didn't have to do have a lot of faith for that. But what he called them to do, they needed to trust God. And that's what God is calling us to do. So you have, you know, have to be uh, ready to answer the call. Like the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. You know, Isaiah was, was sad because the, the king Uzziah, his, his good friend, you know, Uzziah had died and he was bummed out. And then he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And then his sadness went away. Once you see God high and lifted up, you can't remember nothing that's wrong with you. You can't think about any sadness. Seeing God up and personal like we have met him at times, we forget about everything. We forget about our, our things that we're going through. We forget about, you know, I can't do it. And then when... when uh, the, the Godhead was asking who's going to go for us in verse 8. He doesn't hesitate to say, well, I wait a minute. Where are we going to go? What, what do you want me to do? doesn't even think about that. He says, and also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, then I said, here I am, send me. This is what God is waiting for us to do is to say, I'll go. I'll go, send me, Lord, send me, you know, and having the, that confidence that God, I, I'm telling you that the things that God will put you to do will be accomplished, will be done. So, so the next guy I want to show you is, is this guy in the book of Acts chapter 9, this, this guy named Saul of Tar Tarsus. So Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee who was, uh, you know, he, he got it in his mind that he was doing God's will and he was persecuting the church. He was going after the church. And, and so this is a different kind of guy compared to Gideon. This guy was a highly educated guy. He sat under the, the great scholar and uh, he was a learned man. And so it tells me what? It tells me that without the spirit of God, you can have all the knowledge and you can be on the wrong side. You can be on the, totally on the wrong side. So then what has to happen is God has to open your eyes. And so this is what happened to, to Saul. And so in verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that they, if they found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and he suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and uh, you will be told what you must do. The, the, the point I wanted to make is that there was no hesitation in this man. You know, he didn't hesitate. Uh, right away, he answered. He answered and said, what do you want me to do? So the question for us is, is that how we are answering God? Is that how we answer God? You know, we, we serve like, like sometimes we serve out of convenience. If it fits my schedule, if it fits my life, you know. And that's not what Saul did here. You know, he becomes the man Paul later. God changes his name. He right away asks, what do you want me to do? Immediately when he meets, he knows this is the living God. Immediately he knows that he needs to be in the workmanship. And this man accomplished a lot in his lifetime. And God is not asking us to be this man. He's asking us to be who we are and just respond to the call that he's called us to, to, to be in, whatever it is. And, and he's not asking you to do anything that he has not already prepared you to do. You know, I look at the things in my life behind me, and I see that all lot of things that God has prepared for today, for exactly what's going on today in this body, the things that, that we're called to, to work in and serve in, that God had prepared that pretty amazing, you know, pretty amazing, just like just like Moses was prepared to lead a big major army, he was the guy that God chose to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, four million people, you see? He was, in some ways, a little bit qualified, prepared. God had prepared already things that he would be doing. So this is a, how God operates. So, so then, what is needed for this workmanship? What is needed the Bible says that we are his workmanship, that God had prepared these good works, these works for the believer before the foundations of the world. That means that God would know that you, whatever you're doing, serving God, God already prepared those things. But God get, has given us the free will, the free will to say no. These guys could have said no to God, and we could say no. But I tell you, if you say no, you're going to miss out on all the blessings that God had prepared as well. So you need faith. You need to believe. You need to believe that God is going to do it. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, the things we can see are not faith at all because we can see them, you see? But he's asking us to step out in faith. And so to have the confidence, to have confidence in him. In, in Philippians 1, 6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God will accomplish it. God will do it. You know, you think that if God could save a major city like Nineveh with a man who was unwilling, with a man who ran away, who God had to force him to come back, by having a fish swallow him up, if he could accomplish that, then what about a willing person? What about one who says, I will, I'll go? So, so God sometimes is limited because we limit him, because we don't go, because we say no. 
And so we have to know that God, you know, if you know you're helpless, then God's going to come in. You know, if you realize that you can't do anything, that God's going to come in, that apart from God, you might as well not go. If you leave God out of the equation, you will fall down. So in John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you could do nothing. And if I have realized anything, is that without God, I could do nothing. You see, I could accomplish absolutely nothing without God. Nothing. And so why, what, that is why, you know, no matter what the task is, you know, we ask God to be in, in the task. We ask God to be all in, in it. You know, I'm sure that, that uh, those of you who, you know, you've been in ministry a while, you know what I'm saying. You know that we can't do anything without the Lord. You know, you pray and ask the Spirit of the Lord to take, to be the guide, to be, to guide your left and your right, to be everything. You know, an interesting thing I, I want to share with you is we prayed on Saturday. Interesting how God God prepares. We prayed on Saturday. Part of our prayer was that we would not get into foolish arguments, you know. So when, when the enemy hears a prayer like that, he challenges that prayer, you know. So we met a guy on the, on the street who wanted to argue. He wanted to argue about his point was uh, that it, you baptize infants and they're saved. So we said, well, just show us in the Bible, you know. Show us in the Bible. We handed him a Bible and he said, no, you guys change that Bible. I, I won't read that one. But so anyway, it turned out that, that I, he wanted my number so he could send me the, the, the verses, which he sent me some verses that were wrong. But really, the enemy was trying to create an argument, which we prayed that we wouldn't get into arguments. See, so the enemy is involved. And that's more reason that we need God in, in this business that we get into. So if you guys could turn to Matthew chapter 25, and then we'll wrap it up. In verse, starting in verse uh, 14. So Jesus just, just finished speaking to them about the, the, the virgin, the ten virgins, right? And uh, how half of them were awake, half of them had the spirit, the other half were asleep. So then he goes on to tell them another parable in uh, verse 14. So, the, so this is a very well-known uh, parable that you guys know, but it's the parable of the talents, you know, the parable of the talents. And God has given us all gifts and talents, right? And so this is what this is about. So for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a, to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each one according to his own ability and immediately he went on a journey so right there you know i just want to point out some things out of this parable is that he gives us the talents according to our own ability he's not giving 
it's not we're not looking at well that person had more talent or to envy another person god is concerned he wants us to be concerned about the gifts that he's given us you know the gifts that he's given us so this is what this is about so he's giving these gifts to to us and and so the question for us is are we in these gifts right so that's what this this little parable is about and what their response to to the gifts that god gave them so we continue reading in uh, verse 16. It says, Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he, had, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So here, you know, we have the first two who used their, their talents, who used their gifts. So, so the question becomes to us, am I using my gifts? Am I, do I even know what my gifts are? Have I stepped out in faith? If you don't know, you just start serving in the lowest capacity you can. And God looks for faithful people. And then he starts pouring out his spirit. And then you'll start knowing where your gifts are. You know, I came to, to here to serve in, in Almani uh, way, I don't know how long ago, but it was a small little little uh, group, but I had no idea. I had no clue what God was going to do. But since I came to the Lord, ever since I came to the Lord, I, I, I kind of, in ignorance, to be honest with you, I prayed a prayer, and I pray it even today, that God would use my life, that God would pour out His Spirit. And I really didn't know what I was asking for. But... God was faithful to hear that prayer, and that's what he's looking for, is people who, who are sincere to be used, not people who are qualified. The Spirit of the Lord is the one who will come and qualify you. The Spirit of the Lord is what will give you the strength, you know. On Sunday, an example, you know, f spiritual strength, physical strength. Uh, I was here for a long time, you know. I was the last one to lock up. We had a lot of things going on. I seen my brother Art. He was pretty pretty beaten, you know. But I realized when I was driving home that I wasn't tired. I wasn't tired at all. And I went home, and I still had a bunch of energy. And that's really not normal. Usually I'm pretty beat up. But I realized that it was the Spirit of the Lord who had physically energized me. So whatever it is, God will... Bring whatever's needed, whatever is necessary. God would do it. Trust me, I'm a I'm a witness to that many times. So, in in uh, in verses 19 and 23, it says, after a long time, the Lord, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you deliver me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. This, his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he also, he also had, who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you deliver me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents. Besides them, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things and I will make you 
ruler over many things, enter into the joy of your Lord. So these two guys, they did what was right in the sight of the, of the, the Lord. You know, they obeyed. They took faith. They took the faith that the God had given them because even the faith we have belongs to God. And they used their talents and they did not waste their talents. You know, you think about people that I've known here and, and even before here who were gifted in ministry, but they're no longer here. Why? Because they didn't want to be used by God. They didn't want to count the cost and other things called them away. Some are not even doing very well. And so that can happen, you know, if you take your eyes off the Lord, right? And, and, and the enemy will call you other places. But I know why we were saved. You know, we were saved from hell, but we were saved, as the Bible says, unto good works. You know, we talk about being thankful. Tomorrow's the day that we're grateful and thankful. The, the whole world probably celebrates something similar. But if we're grateful, if we're thankful, then we are thankful that God saved us. And it's just correct that we won't want to serve him. Maybe you don't serve here, but that you would serve him anywhere, right? That you would be a servant. Imagine, you know, Reuben used to, you know, Reuben, if you guys didn't know Reuben maybe too well, but I, he was a close friend of mine. And he, he, he was a little bit challenged, you know. And, and sometimes his brother would, would play with him a little bit. When, when Reuben, you know, if you know Reuben, he was not ashamed of the gospel. He would preach the gospel. He would go to 7-Eleven and pray for the officers that were hanging out there. He, he, this guy was not ashamed. But sometimes when he would tell his story to his brother, his brother would kind of toy with him a little bit and say, well, you're like John the Baptist, and, and maybe you're a prophet and stuff like that. So Reuben would ask me, hey, what, what about that? You know, my brother's telling me that. And I said, Reuben, the greatest title is to be a servant of God. Just tell people that you're just a servant, you know. And that is the greatest title that we could be, servants of the Most High God. That we're, we're, that there is nothing greater, you see, because as Jesus came to serve, and then we're like him by serving, serving those who can't do nothing for you, can't pay you back, can't do nothing for you, just like we can't do really anything for God, but he allows us. I, I say to you and to me that it is a privilege. It is a privilege to serve the Lord. It is a privilege to serve God the God of the universe who doesn't need anything. Doesn't need anything. Doesn't need me. You know, he'll, he can raise up the rocks to, to glorify him, right? But he allows us that. And then along with that, we need the Spirit of God. So it just, it's, it's a win-win for us, right? So the third servant is not a good account. In verse 24 and 25, it says, Then he, he who had received the one talent come, came and said, Lord, I knew that you would be a hard, you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gather where you have not got scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid the talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So this guy says he was afraid. He was afraid. And you know, he was afraid in the wrong context because we are to fear God. And I would rather be afraid not to do what God has called me to do. That's, I would have more fear of that, 
of not obeying God, you see. So this guy, while he thought he was doing good, he feared, but he feared in the wrong direction. And so that account, you know, is not good. And so so the ending for this guy isn't good. And I'll just read through it, verse 26 to 30. But this, But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has more will be given, he be given, and he will have he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And this is the bad news. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a very strong warning, you know. I I pray that that it doesn't apply to anybody, you know, that that we would just uh, serve the Lord, you know, serve the Lord. After all, you know, there is, in my opinion, there is no greater blessing. There is no greater blessing. The blessing is to serve the Lord. The Bible talks about rewards, you know. It talks about rewards, but my reward is just to serve the Lord. And so you should, we should understand that all the things you do for God will last forever, and the things that we do in the flesh will, you know, burn up. They're going to burn up. So just a reminder that, you know, we were in the world, and we, we went after the world with everything that we had. We partied hardy. We did everything to the fullest. So how much more for Christ, you know? I'm reminded of, of Chuck Smith. You know, at the end, he had those those oxygen tubes in his nose, but he was still preaching at the end. I, other people that I've known, that they were in the world real heavy. But when they came to Christ, man, they just continued with that same zeal that they had for the world. They brought it to Christ. And, and so the, we have the exam, example of Saul of Tarsus, uh, the Apostle Paul, who was had a great zeal to do wrong to the church. And that zeal was transferred into the ministry of God. And that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling you, me, to do what he's, whatever he's calling you to do in the same zeal that he had for us to die on the cross. And that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, Let a man, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. God is calling us to be faithful to him and to the ministry that he's put you in. I don't know what it is. You guys know. And, 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 I, and if you're not sure, you just start somewhere. You just start somewhere. And God raises up the humble, you know. And so that's what God wants to do. Gratefulness. Gratefulness. Are we grateful? Are we grateful for what God has done? Are we grateful? You know? And, and the answer, of course, we, we know it's yes. So, so in the last verses I want to read is First Timothy 1, 12 to 14. It says, 
And I thank, this is Paul talking to Timothy, writing, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. So Paul is so grateful, and God put him in the ministry. And God, you know, he didn't call us just to sit around. He didn't call us to watch. He called us to be part of his ministry, which is a great thing. It's a great thing that God has called us into his ministry. Pretty amazing that God would use anybody, you know, especially broken vessels like us, you know. But I just want to encourage you that God has a plan for your life. And and the question is, are you in that plan? And if you're not in it, you need to get in it. And I want to encourage you that God, you know, he, he, part of his love for us is to use us in his ministry. That's part of his blessings. That's part of his love for us. And so it's not a wasted life. It's not a wasted life. You know, I know people think that about me. <laughs> they, you know, he's just wasting his time over there. You know, he's over there. But no, I, I've been blessed beyond measure. Blessed beyond measure. So I want to just, uh, just encourage us that, you know, the workmanship is finished when we get to be with the Lord. You know, then we'll be done. And then you will hear. So the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we long to hear those words, right? So let's pray. And Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for, for having us, Lord, for having us as your, as your vessels, Lord, unworthy, Lord. We don't, we don't even deserve to, to be your servants, Lord. We don't deserve to be your servants, Lord. But by your grace, Lord, you show us mercy and grace, Father, over our lives, Lord. So I want to pray for, for, for my, my family here, Father God, that uh, you would uh, just bless them, Lord, bless them, and uh, you would use them, Lord, for your glory and your honor, Lord. And may uh, you... Uh, Bless them and keep them, Lord, and make your, may your face shine upon them, Lord, and may you give them peace, Lord. And Lord, may you strengthen us, Lord, as we, we uh, walk this walk, Lord, that it is becoming difficult every day, more difficult, Lord. And the enemy, the enemy rises up, Lord, but we know that the enemy is no match for you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Father. Uh, we pray you strike down the enemy, Lord God, and, and uh, bless your servants, Lord God. Bless them, Lord. Thank you, Father, for being our Lord and our God. May you uh, go before us, Lord, as we go home. Go before us. And uh, thank you again, Lord, in Jesus' name.